I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Specters, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. Look at this, two shows in the same week because we did the other one late and we did this one early. It's crazy. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. I'm here with Sam... And Sam, we have another person as well. We do. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the medicine of, of Mass Effect for a few weeks now. Uh, and so I figured we, we should probably bring on a special guest from the medical field to help us kind of dissect. You know, is Mass Effect more science or is it more fiction? Or And just get some general thoughts about uh, how Mass Effect puts science forward. So, Greg... Uh, What's your background in, in medicine? This is, oh, by the way, this is Dr. Greg. So Dr. Dr. Greg, Greg, welcome. We're, we're calling, we're just yeah. Greg. Can we call you Dr. Greg? I feel like that would be like your TV persona. <laughs> I like Dr. Carwash too. That was, that will work too. Dr. There Carwash. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I, you know, grew up in the Northwest and my background is in family medicine. So it's kind of this broad specialty. We see a lot of different things um take care of a lot of different people and it's I think in the specialty it's a, a focus on relationships um so that's one of the things i think i would comment on and would we can go into more detail within uh in the series um and i do yeah i'm not quite full spectrum i'm not doing inpatient adult medicine but still take care of newborns and obstetrics do deliveries and outpatient uh, and i live in a small town that um so it's kind of rural medicine, limited access in a clinic that takes care of uh, a full spectrum of folks that uh, maybe half are um, underinsured, or I should say maybe half are on, a little more than half are on Medicaid, and we still have a good number of patients that don't have insurance. So wow. resources is um, a lot of management, a lot of management of what resources are out there is a big part of my day so if you were if you were practicing in the mass effect universe would you would you be seeking out practicing in like a refugee camp on like the citadel in mass effect yeah. three right yeah i think it'd be exactly that down in the the lower levels right take care of those who just came on board that would that'd be the equivalent maybe yeah. and i will tell you you know real world versus mass effect there's probably a lot of speculation you're going to hear coming from me as far as you know no expert per se but uh, I'll do my best. Well, it sounds like well, you've seen a lot of uh, kind of everything in some way or another. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a lot out there, though, too, I haven't seen. But we do see a good good chunk of um, oddities that come in for sure. Yeah, you know, um, Pipe Man here in chat says Morden on Omega vibes, uh, having to do a lot with little resources. So <laughs> yeah. I can I can see the comparison. Uh, and you know, Pipe Man, we're actually going to talk about Morden in uh, a little bit, so you might want to stick around. But And we have some questions about specific topics and events in the game, so feel free to speculate as, as much as you want, uh, Dr. Greg. But at, at first, as someone working in STEM, what do you like to see in sci-fi? And, and conversely, what pushes you away from a series? Uh, uh, gosh, you know, in science fiction, mostly I... I think of books and the, um, you know, I grew up obviously you can see this background here with star Wars as my, my religion replacement in a way. And I was I about to that say that, that you're coming from a completely different galaxy. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> One far, far away. Yeah. Um, and I, I think sci-fi allows you to kind of speculate on what are possible things with what we do know and where we could be going. And, you know, it's the authors and the creators that that explore that, that dive into it in ways that can be really fascinating. How many, how many different ways have we seen authors uh, talk about how we travel these large distances? What does light speed look like? Um, you know, and the uh, Endymion, I forget that whole series name by Simmons. They, I think it's, I think it might be that series where they, the crew gets plastered to the back wall of the ship and gets reconstructed every time they jump to light speed that there's no way to, <laughs> right. that, you know, that there's one solution. And um, it's fun to kind of think about that and play with those ideas. Um, and I, 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 I like that. And mostly books and video games, it's a little different. I think it's uh, mass effect is uh, um, for me, a little bit of an outlier in that way. And that it um, creates a really rich background of story um and going into different nuances that a lot of video games maybe that's not quite their focus um i and i didn't know with mass effect what i was walking into when i started playing it so it was kind of a nice treat that's kind of a perfect segue because uh the next question here i had for you was how did you get your start with mass effect oh yeah well i was kind of telling tom earlier i don't i used to play on pc when i was younger i grew up in the you know, doom era really. Um, and through college and whatnot, I didn't have time. <laughs> college and med school. I didn't have a whole lot of time. And the easy way back in was console. And my friends at the time really were known was gamers. So it, I came across probably a little trailer or clip I saw. And when I started mass effect, I thought it was just sort of a third person shooter. And as I was and I, I explore everything. So I was talking to everyone. I'm like, damn, there's a lot of dialogue here. Okay. Do I need to start paying a little more attention and realizing then what, you know, at first I was uh, taken aback by how much conversation I was doing at the Citadel or, you know, however that started. And, um, and then you, you realize this is what they're building here. Um, and so I just stumbled across mass effect. And I think it, it was when it had shortly after it came out, mass effect two was probably already out because i don't think i had to wait for that i think i jumped right into mass effect 2 but it was at the release and then i've i've really only played through it one other time about a year ago when i did my insanity playthrough um last year so some of the stuff's not super fresh for me too you might have to remind me well we've got some clips coming up so that, that, that that should be a refresher but Tom? Yeah, so uh, we, we were talking about this uh, in the pre-show when we were setting up about how when you watch media or play games and you have an expertise in a certain area, how that's kind of a double-edged sword because if they get things right or wrong, sometimes that's, ugh, or you end up talking to your spouse about all the things they should have done when they didn't. Um, so on the surface, when it comes to Mass Effect, what did they do right when it comes to medicine, in your your opinion, just kind of generally speaking? Yeah. And you, you have to probably take it with a grain of salt with the constructs of a, or, or limitations of a video game, right? But I, mm -hmm. in Mass Effect 3, I think when you're on the Citadel, there's a small area at least where they show people scattered about and um, providers helping them. And it looks pretty chaotic. Um, you know, that feeling of we're dealing, we're in an emergency here, we're all hands on deck that felt real. It would really be bigger 
and people would be running around a bit more than you see them still standing there after you go yeah. and a couple of missions and come back. You're like, you're still standing, you know, yeah, but the scale is very limited, feel. but the feeling yeah. of the room is what you're talking about. Yeah. That feel of that. And I think some of the, the, you know, we'll talk, I guess a little bit about Morden later, but some of those uh, ethical decisions that apply in medicine, they, they do, I think very well um, that, you know, and I don't know if I can do spoilers, but, um, what happens with Thane, I think is yes. Spoilers um, are fine. This is a lore cast. Okay. So everybody, yeah. everybody knows that we're going to spoil something okay. every episode. So yeah, go for it. Yeah. Just dealing with death and loss and knowing that that's coming. Um, I think that the, the elements there in that arc, um, feels very, you know, resonates, I would say. Um, technical medical stuff. I don't remember seeing a lot of, I mean, meta gel, you're like, okay, you just spray it on and you're instantly better. Okay. I'll just let that go. We need something <laughs> like that. To you. you know, I don't get too caught up in that, you know, some games you have to have the right concoction or you have to take the time and bandage your arm and then clean the bandage for, you know, there's, there's that, but I think that would slow down the gameplay. And so I didn't really get too, too worked up by that. You mentioned um, the, um, the the ethical decisions as well as the Citadel, you know, when everyone's kind of running around, and they're strewn about, it's a bit chaotic. Well, one of the <clears throat> one of the conversations that I recall uh, between two background characters, they're both providers in the Huerta Memorial Hospital in the Citadel, is they're debating whether or not it is ethical to ration care. And what did you think when you first heard that conversation? Yeah, I I don't know what I exactly I thought, but I think my response would have been that that's very real. That is exactly right. There's nothing fictional about rationing care. It is just the reality we are faced with. And um, during a time of war, I mean, it, it would have to be much, much, much harder. Those decisions. Right. You probably have a lot more restrictions. Um, I mean, we even see here uh, war abroad or crises abroad affect us in little ways where if you're used to being able to get your medications or have insurance and can get it, um, there'll be supply shortages though. I remember, I think colchicine for gout was suddenly not available because the military was pulling a bunch of it and I don't know why. Um, so you'll, you'll see these things, lidocaine suddenly, what, we don't have lidocaine anymore to numb people up or we have to, hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, restrict how much we use. So that happens in small ways now that touch us and you know that's not when there's a crisis even in our face but i think bigger picture resource limitations is um uh icus and hospitals and and care and it's you know not an equal playing field for who has access for sure yeah so we talked about your feeling about things feeling accurate right but what about what things they didn't get right? Um, do you see anything in the games in reference to medicine or practicing it where you just kind of, you get that feeling, you just kind of roll your eyes and you're like, all right. Mm. Well, if you have specifics, um, a specific thing you're thinking about, let me know. But I, and I, I think my general feeling of how mental illness was portrayed um, or people becoming, I guess they just go crazy um is not really what psychosis looks like um and that's everyone does that kind of wrong it's easy to make them people suddenly just be weird and crazy which doesn't really fit what happens for people that have um 
uh, psychotic illnesses or delusional or, or hallucinations and, and other changes that happen. So I, I'm trying to think like, um, it was probably some, Oh, I want to say what happened when you rescued Jack was Jack. Did she come from a prison where people went crazy too? And I, maybe I'm mixing it up. She, she came from a Cerberus prison that was basically experimenting on the kids. Oh, they were, and okay. the, there was a, there was basically a revolt and everyone started attacking the guards. Yeah. Okay. So that was not quite the psychosis. It maybe it's, I'm thinking of the episode with the plant. Um, uh, yes, the uh, Jacob's father's loyalty mission on twenty one seventy five Aya, I think, was I the name of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that was the planet where they. Just as a recap for everyone, uh, Jacob's father's ship had crash landed on a planet, and very typical sci fi kind of setting. The crew is relegated to eat the native fauna. Uh, but that is poisonous and leads to neural uh, degradation, whereas the captain, you know, uh, res uh, saves the rations for himself. And, and, and the neural degradation that the crew has is something you're saying that 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 did not portray psychosis. Well, um, yeah, that's another I was actually thinking of another. I think it's from Mass Effect. Well, I think it's also from Mass Effect, too. It was another expansion mission but that's a good example that you gave is suddenly and you can usually i think you could usually tell pretty quickly because they act so strange in a different way that is not something that we see in in human mental illness that didn't it just doesn't feel right it's like okay that and that's fine it's its own new problem um and it's changing the brain in a way we've never seen um but i think some of the more and so yeah and and when i think about mental illness and the way it affects people, those, those, that part of the story doesn't feel right. It feels, it's just, oh, otherizing them very quickly. And then all, everything, you know, that that does to us, we're like, oh, they're crazy. They did yeah. this. It feels like a, like a bad really Star weird. Trek episode. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, that mission to all, uh, Sam was one that probably didn't feel like they did that very well or the way I would want, wanted it, wanted it done. Yeah, I, I can see that it was certainly abrupt and a bit villainous uh, how they how they portray some psychosis or or uh, I guess even indoctrination. But with indoctrination, right, we're encouraged to like suspend disbelief because it's an alien right. uh, species that's controlling us. And but, um, you know, while we're t while we're on the n topic of real, uh, real, real life examples that are also in the game, as we talked about Tom and I last episode, Vrolic syndrome is a real condition and it's one that Joker deals with. Uh, so how did, how did you view their depiction of, I believe the medical term is osteogenesis imperfecta, uh, yeah. when it came to Joker's, uh, life? Yeah, it's actually not a condition. Uh, and I don't know what the prevalence is, but it's not actually something that I've taken care of. Um, but it, it's sort of a spectrum of uh, disease and it can manifest in a lot of different ways. But the kind of classic thing you think of is the it's like a, it's a, our bone is not just this hard calcium. It has some collagen, other proteins in it that give it its flexibility in the way that if you see a building going up with concrete, there's rebar in it to do the same type of thing. 
And so it would be like building bones with just the concrete or something that's strong, but easily shatterable Mm -hmm. rather than having some flexibility. Um, And yeah, I mean, I don't remember Joker getting out of the seat very often. He hobbles around a bit. um, And I don't know that he'd be hobbling, but it would be easy for him to have a low impact fracture. Um, So I don't think they mess anything up. I know there's certain appearances that you can associate with osteogenesis and perfecta, some head shape stuff. I think someone mentioned the other day, um, a blue kind of a tint that you can get to the, the sclera, the white part of the eye that you sometimes see. Um, but I, I think that was a good syndrome to give him. And I don't think they, I don't remember there being a thing that was, he did that was like, Oh no, he couldn't do that. They kept him in the chair. Um, <laughs> they kept him in the chair most of the time. <laughs> a lot of cushion. Yeah. With this, with the except just the one exception I can think of, of, uh, when the Normandy is abducted, uh, by, and the crew's abducted by the collectors. Uh, and he was very reluctant to get out of his chair. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, even when the first Normandy went down, he was reluctant to get out of the chair, although that was more of a, a moral sticking point with him that he was going to go down with the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Keppel syndrome, I don't believe is real in, in, in our world. Uh, but it, and it doesn't affect humans obviously, but is there an, an analogous condition that does affect people that's similar so, to Keppel's? I think so. But remind me, I think Keppel, when I was playing, I remember thinking that, um, Thane was having a breathing or lung, that it was affecting his lung tissue, but is there another component of it too that affects his blood? I'm a little unsure about the exact, uh, you know, how it works in the body, but I'm I'm fairly sure that you're you're correct about that. That his lungs are just not uh, transporting the oxygen to the rest of his body yeah, because that, the, I, I pulled the, it up real quick. The the technical oh, the, well the description at least on one of these articles is uh, essentially the disease erodes Adrell's ability to consume oxygen and stops blood from producing hemoglobin. Oh, so So that's interesting that drills have hemoglobin. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, I I mean, thinking back to the lung and suffocation, that's very real and very, unfortunately, common. Um, The idea that um, in some mechanism, his lung oxygen interface is not working is a very common human problem we run into with. It can be our heart not pumping effectively and so your heart has two different chambers blood flows in from the rest of the body to the right atrium and ventricle that gets pumped to the lungs and then goes back to the left ventricle the main chamber that's pushing it all the way to the rest of our body and if that's not working you get a backup in the system and so the fluid that's still in the lungs trying to get to that left ventricle is backed up under pressure and you get liquid seeping out into lung tissue and people will literally fill up with fluid and you know doctors in the hospital will put needles in and pull that out and use other ways to to treat it um but that is sort of a drowning feeling uh from your heart not working maybe more act or more similar to um uh his condition would be uh, there's other types of lung disease that you can get where the 
uh, tissue itself becomes a little bit more rigid. So a lot of people might be familiar with COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, a consequence of tobacco, you know, cigarette smoking or tobacco use over time where you have a hard time moving the air out. But there's this other type of lung disease where the lungs ability to open up and inflate becomes more difficult. It's generally grouped that we call it interstitial lung disease or pulmonary fibrosis um, that you can get from exposure to chemicals um, and other things. And that becomes like trying to make your lungs start becoming like cement. So they're not moving well. So that might be a feeling that's similar to it. And it's a progressive thing that we don't, we can't treat very well. So it's, there's a, that, that inability for us to fix that one is very real. Um, All of this sounds the, wonderful, by the way. Oh my God. No, no, no. This is all Don't so, be sorry. We're no, no, literally is, asking you about this. Right, right. No, okay. it's totally fine. But like every time, every time, and, and I'm sure it takes a certain type of person to do your job, to be a doctor, to get into medicine, because you have to like, all of these things are terrible. <laughs> you know, like the poor people who are, who are going through and having to deal with these things and, and, and you have to be the sound mind who's able to get to the heart of what the issue is and, and help them with the solution. Like it just props to what you do and what so many other medical workers do. But as, as a non medical worker, I'm just like, Oh my God, <laughs> any of this sounds so terrible. It does take a, there's that balance of, you know, being empathetic. Uh, I mean, I guess depending on how you interpret the word, really feeling what other people are feeling, empathy, would really crush you because there's sure, a lot of suffering. Yeah. So it kind of takes a little bit of a rational empathy of being able to understand and relating that pain without right. taking it on, you know, like a therapist, if they felt everything their patient was feeling would not last very long. So there, it does take a little bit of that. That's a definitely a balancing act for physicians to not also not feel and not yeah. be turned on the suffering of other people. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to go back to the hemoglobin. <laughs> yes, please do. Um, well, I think it's fascinating that it's hemoglobin that they say that uh, because that's sort of a unique protein that uh, has evolved from us being on the planet we're on that is very iron rich. And not that you couldn't have another creature with hemoglobin. I could see some other iron-based protein or something, but maybe, you know, they call it that. It's like, oh, that's very unique. The same exact term in a different species. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Perhaps it, it is possible with the drill having been, you know, their home planet was Rakana. So <clears throat> it was an arid desert, desert world. I can see a lot of met metals being present in the surface. Yeah. So an iron base, we'll call it hemoglobin. So yeah, if there is a problem that, of destruction or production of hemoglobin, then you, and we see this in people too, um, anemia can, is the broad term for not having enough of a, a cell-made protein. And we think of usually red blood cells. Um, there can be a production problem, which might be what happens uh, in Keppel syndrome. I, if it's a destruction problem, we have that too, where our bodies will attack or, um, or destroy our red blood cells. Um, there's infectious diseases that affect our red blood cells like malaria. Uh, sickle cell, I don't think would be, I don't know that you lose, I don't know enough about sickle cell. I, I don't know that you lose a lot of oxygen and carrying capacity. I think you just have these misshapen cells that hurt, but I can imagine um, 
that as you are losing your oxygen carrying capacity also that puts another strain on the system so the lungs are already not getting working well you don't have now the red blood cells to bring or the hemoglobin to to carry the oxygen around so your heart's working harder your lungs are trying to breathe faster and you you feel like you're drowning and short of air the whole time and it would be a it would probably be a pretty miserable i don't think he would quietly close his eyes and say his goodbyes like that happened it would be probably pretty miserable honestly probably something a little bit too uh too visceral to display in a video game you know yeah. or or yeah. doesn't close out the story with the tone that they wanted you to close the story out with right so yeah, they yeah. Make those changes I, mean, I do like though they did give him a bit of a you know he was sick pretty early on and it it kind of just kept getting worse and worse if i recall and they did I, I like the way they did that honestly i wouldn't want it i don't think i would have wanted it to be that real you know? yeah yeah that would have hurt a little bit too much uh for the players but on the topic of diseases the fortinbras plague is probably the most detailed description of a disease that we get in mass effect and yet a lot of players don't ever learn about it because it's part of the books uh, and more specifically, it's part of the books about Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, so I'd like to recap the medical part of of this, uh, you know, explanation and, and kind of ha just have you comment when something comes to mind. So for, first of all, the, the Fortinbras plague was artificially made, uh, taking traits from a, a bunch of different uh, infectious and deadly diseases impacting almost every Milky Way species. It mutates very easily. It can spread through the air and, you know, stay on surfaces. And it has an R naught of 22 to 26, which wow. is about as contagious as the measles. So how contagious is this really? Yeah. Okay. Well, an R naught is um, how much, you know, how easily it is for one person to spread it to how many other people, but it's, it's not necessarily just a, um, biological number inherent in the organism it is a created number that is about even relationships with other people and uh how it's spread and and communities and how we interact so it's it's a it's a very specific to the disease itself and the community it's spread in in that way um but that's that's that is really infectious i mean if an an R naught of two is something that can easily become exponential on its own. Right. Cause it's a doubling uh, effect Two becomes yeah, four it, becomes eight becomes yeah. 16. Right. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how the R naught is. Um, I think it's, you know, a disease that kills you quickly tends not to have as high of an R naught. So something like Ebola, I don't know what it's R naught is, but it's probably for as deadly as it is, um, and the, the way it's spread also, it probably has a, a much lower R not. But yeah, that's 20. That's high. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's funny you should bring that up that uh, diseases and viruses that have, you know, uh, a low R or that are deadly tend to have a lower R not. Well, this one has a very high R not and it is incredibly deadly, uh, killing people within 24 hours. Um, but interesting coincidence about the measles because the virus was made using traits from the measles uh as well as uh, something called a sorry cyanophage i'm not sure what that is but I, i'm guessing given the etymology of that word 
it would mean something that maybe erases how blue the Asari are. Uh, Keprel syndrome, so they did take traits from that. A Turian disease called Titan's Tears, and the Volus equivalent of chickenpox called Yoktan. Uh, so who was a chef, a bioterrorist chef that made all of this? <laughs> this right. And so I was going to ask you, you know, would it actually be possible or even like conceivable to create a virus from traits of other viruses, let alone this many other ones? Or does it, you know, are you aware of how difficult that would be or? Oh, I, I mean, in theory, it, it it's plausible, right? That you can construct a RNA sequence to do all these things. I mean, it, can we do that now? No, I don't think so. Um, but that's not that crazy to imagine. Um, we can do it with other types, like with DNA pretty easily with CRISPR, what we can create is, um, mm -hmm. it's actually pretty impressive and frightening. Yeah. For uh, example, yeah. for example, my, my wife does research on, uh, mice at the lab mm -hmm. that she, she runs and so cool. they have mouse models. is what they're called where they have genetically, changed mice to for their and specifically for their brains to uh use a certain protein that is only found in human brains now actually works in a mouse and that is not something that happens in nature they had to genetically engineer that yeah so we're already there with dna right where the the technology is where you can take the area you want and put in something new like we were there instead of just breeding and trying to create a trait by selection but i don't know that they can do that with rna yet but it's plausible right it, it's something that you could imagine being done now how to create something that you know all the effects would be quite a challenge i don't know that'd be as easy as just stick all these different viruses <laughs> together and then you get all the problems it probably doesn't work that way unless right. it's a combo thing i yeah i don't know but <clears> yeah <throat> it's, it's it didn't work that way for for uh, the person who concocted this virus either. Uh, it ended up being a lot more volatile than they wanted. Um, tested on tested on his uh, neighbor and he got it himself. More sure. or less, uh, yeah, more or less. So so this was made by the uh, captain of the Orient the Korean Ark because the thought was as soon as we get to the Andromeda Galaxy, we want. Uh, if we can decimate the numbers of the council races, then we will not be treated as second tier citizens anymore. So it was supposed to be targeted toward them, but the virus and, and it was supposed to spread on this arc where all of the, all of the races on that arc were not council races. So they were supposed to be carriers. And then by the time they get there, just spread it very quickly. Brutal. The quarians um, are actually really interesting in that regard with their immune system. That's another kind of realistic um, problem. Uh, and I, I like the way if you, I think in my second playthrough, um, I got, we'll just say Tali to remove some of her protection. And uh, the, the consequence was like, she was down and out needing antibiotics for a period of time. <laughs> I, thought that was, I love that. I thought that was brilliant. So if, if there was a, like, theoretically, if you took a bunch of humans and put them on a spaceship, uh, which was completely sterile for like a long time, it, it really would impact immune systems that way? Well, no, I'm more thinking of diseases where people have lost their immune system. And, you know, there's, when I was a kid, there was that book about David, the boy in the bubble, 
who literally they didn't have anything but to keep him away from everyone, very much like the quarrying setup. I don't know about keeping us on a ship over such a long time that we would lose our immune system. We are such a mixture of organisms already. We're not these sterile, just human cells. You know, there's more bacteria in the first inch of your colon than there are people on earth. So we're a lot more other than we are us, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know how that would happen. Um, There's a poop joke here somewhere, but I haven't formulated it yet. <laughs> We're full of shit. Is, is ah, there you go. Say. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Sometimes it's the more simple uh, mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, to so, chime in real quick, just to go back to the R not thing, I do have some some details on here. Just to put this in perspective, uh, the seasonal influenza is at a 0.9 to a 2.1. It varies between there. Ebola, 1.51 to 2.53. So slightly wow. more infectious than the flu so uh, uh 22 to 26 is an order of magnitude above that just that straight up and 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 you know i i wasn't aware before greg had brought this up that it was socially influenced but that makes sense if they are on a, an enclosed spaceship where mm-hmm. with recycled air quarters <laughs> recycled air pretty yeah. tight quarters twenty thousand people on this arc maybe that had something to do with why that r naught is so high yeah that would make sense exactly that would be the type of scenario it's like well this is the situation in which this is spreading so it's r naught and this situation is here and it might be different when you look at it in other kind of arenas right so maybe it wouldn't have been as infectious you know when they get to the andromeda galaxy and they are on the planet people have space to spread out and and live um, but about Fortinbras plague, I wanted to go over the symptoms. Okay. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to list off the symptoms that we know about, uh, that occur at different stages and, and maybe, you know, a way they could have treated these symptoms on the arc. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it starts with as, and we, if, if this sounds familiar to any listeners, it's because we just went over this last week, but it starts with copious projectile vomiting coughing fever chills and nausea okay so we're beyond prevention we're just jumping into treatment so on a ship they probably need hoses for the, field. <laughs> for, the for the projectile vomit antiemetics if you haven't really started vomiting yet doesn't sound like any diarrhea so you could give rectal suppositories going back to the colon reference <laughs> at least there's uh, that at least there's yeah, that. at least there's that <laughs> Good old fashioned antiemetics and uh, maybe some antipyritics like Tylenol, ibuprofen to get your fevers down. That would probably be the easiest thing to to deal with. And then rehydration. If you're feverish, you're vomiting, uh, you're probably getting dehydrated pretty easily. So I have a clinical question for you, Greg. How would you suppose that you could put a a rectal suppository in a Hanar? Oh, God. I'm not sure I'd be able to find it in the first place. I'd probably ask for for permission for some consent there first. I'm sure there's plenty of artwork on the internet that shows us Hanar butts. They have a little right? tail kind of back end thing, don't right? they? That they do. Yeah. Maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's where that. You know, when we uh, were planning this episode, I never thought about shoving things up Hanar asses, but here we are. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> there's um, something uh, kind of just since we're talking about colons. There's something kind of unique about our colon's blood supply that um, 
is that, well, this is the part that maybe this is a college thing, but anyway, regardless, our, the blood that when we absorb from food, from our stomach, our intestines, it all goes into this separate circulatory system that goes through the liver to filter out toxins first. Mm -hmm. But the last part of the colon's blood supply doesn't connect to that. And it goes straight to our, I think, vena cava, essentially. It basically goes straight back into mainline treatment. So you can bypass the liver by by using rectal medication. That's why the suppositories work. Uh, yeah, it helps. It yeah. makes it a little bit more potent. I mean, I, right. I was going to say that's why where right. the, the wine enemas or whatever that people would use would bypass their liver get drunk quicker or whatever whatnot yeah um so the so let's move on because these symptoms progress very quickly the next symptom is that it turns their sweat into a sweet smell and we debated this on the last episode we're like wait is is that pulling from a real world thing yeah I, i i saw part of that and there is in diabetics you do see ketoacidosis um uh, when someone's really sick with really high blood sugars you do get and i don't i don't honestly know recall what part of the ketone um creates that smell but it, it creates a smell that you can you can detect in their breath it's i don't know i can't or i think of it as like kind of a grape or artificial grape flavor smell mm-hmm. all right I don't know, but so that's a real possibility. And, you know, if there's some excretion of sugars in some way that we would call sweet, like also in diabetics, the urine will be sweet, um, which is how it was one of the ways it was diagnosed earlier before we had the ability to check for sugars. We take a little sip and oh, oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> I was just going to ask to, to, wow. to the taste of the smell, but wow. I, I kind of did want to know. I kind of didn't want to know, but I, I guess I'm better for it. Um, <laughs> so, oh so as Tom said, it, it progresses really quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> and a few hours in, people who are infected, they start developing these sores that then burst. And they're blue. And they're blue. Blue sores. Um, regardless and, of the species or the race. I suppose so. Yeah. A lot of the symptoms are, are common among different races. Um, and then the people get super violently hungry. Like super munchies. Okay. That <laughs> yes. could happen. Raven- okay. So All right. ravenous hunger is a symptom of actual diseases. Um, God, is it? Well, it's, I mean, it sounds uh, like at this point it's affecting the brain. It's gotten past the brain blood barrier maybe and i'm talking out of my butt here another butt joke um but like if something makes you feel hungry right then probably it's affecting your nervous system to give you a symbol like a signal that you need to eat even when you don't yeah well there is that like if our our brain needs you know sugar as its fuel and if we get low blood sugar especially artificially like back to a diabetic using too much insulin blood sugar being pushed artificially down the hunger drive kicks in really strong people get really hungry which is kind of a survival mechanism that you know so maybe some hijacking of those those hormones or signals coming from the brain too about our hunger that could happen Hmm. do they eat other people do they get so hungry they start eating things they wouldn't eat well i don't want to spoil too much about the book (laughs) 
Um, so let, let, it does skip, say violently hungry, though. Let, let's skip uh, forward to the next symptom. So about about 12 hours later and and patients are, stu- are struggling to breathe from the uh, edemas swelling on their throats and chests. Oh, gosh. So how 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 would that be treated? Um, okay, so it depends on what sort of response that might be. Let's say it's um, people do can can get swollen swelling around their throat. Usually, that is allergic or a, a reaction. So it could be something like epinephrine. Um, typical edema is fluid overload. What I was talking about with the heart and lungs earlier too. So maybe diuretics. Uh, and maybe just putting in an airway to help get them through it if they need a artificial airway deep down into the lungs. I'm wondering about the combination of these symptoms and how horrendous it would be to have copious projectile vomiting along with an edema around your throat. And also being hungry. And they're the hungry ones are probably eating the vomit. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. We should have put a warning at the but beginning of this episode. If anybody's squeamish, this is not the episode to listen to. Well, <laughs> you know, we, we did go over diseases uh, last week, so I it's think true. we've set the bar. But it's true. Um, yeah, OK, so right before death, people start hallucinating and losing their mind and attacking other people at random. Um, so fair to say that this is now affecting the brain. Yeah, for sure. And it would probably be affecting for humans like a frontal lobe or the decision making areas. Um, and we, you know, we have viruses that um, I saw a patient that had a viral herpes, actually, encephalitis, and her brain was not working. She was saying things without just coming out with kind of graphic, inappropriate things that she would not normally say, just kind of spewing that. I, I don't remember behavior wise that it affected her behavior, but her speech was. Uh, so yeah, the brain can be, could totally be affected and kind of hijacked. Um, it is amazing. Maybe, it is amazing it how crucial like brain those, is. um, what do you call those funguses that that family of funguses that affects insects? That like, um, uh, turns them into little zombies, the little zombie. Yeah. It fungi. changes their behavior. Not only does it erupt from their body, but it, it gets them to want to crawl up to the a high place to spread it over the colony. Or they're more likely to be eaten and then it, it spreads. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a real cordyceps, I think is what they're called, but it's that family that, you know, we could imagine something getting into your brain ultimately and kind of hijacking it if it helps it spread, you know. And this is kind of just a crazy, I mean, from a average person's point of view, there's a crazy combination of symptoms and the fact that it's all happening within a day and then within a day, most people die except for the Elcor. Uh, they persevere for, for some time. But um, we went over the deaths of the Volus last episode. Oh, and so they are particularly gruesome because, as you know, that the Volus are within these pressurized suits because they, they're from a very highly pressurized planet. Mm-hmm. So when they're on the Ark, they need the suits. And because of the insane swelling, and the edemas and the pressurized suits, uh, you know, you got force expanding and something pressurizing, keeping it in, and they, they eventually explode. That's what happens to a volus? That, that is what they happens to the volus. They turn into like jelly I, inside their suits. Just I can't imagine that's, I can't imagine that working, but <laughs> give them that. I'll give so, them that. So they would likely die before then, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the swelling 
would be kept. I mean, I don't know. I have to imagine their biology. I don't know what well, would if, happen for the bolus. If, I don't know that they would explode, though. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't I'm just imagining here. Wouldn't you imagine that the blood pressure would rise to a point where eventually they would just have cardiac arrest before the rest of their body pops? I mean, that's the primary fluid in our bodies is blood. Right. And I think in some ways swelling wouldn't happen because they're in pressurized suits. So it's the rest of us that aren't that are going to have the swelling. They <laughs> we're, wouldn't be. We're more likely to pop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, exactly, though, Tom. I think you're right. It would be they would they would die from something else before they explode well that that brings me a little bit of solace for the for the volus but do do okay so last question before we hit the the mid break uh do these present in any close combination to any real life disease and or or is it pretty fiction i mean the whole constellation is kind of out there but there are things that can spread and progress pretty quickly and become horrific. Um, there is types of uh, bacteria that cause, we call it necrotizing fasciitis. And it is one of these, it produces a gas too, as it, it you know, you might've seen people get infection and over a day or so, it kind of becomes a large infection or an abscess. Well, this is, you can get this from scratching your leg on a metal desk and if they shut up in the ER, you know, if you go to refill your coffee, it'll look different when you come back. I mean, it, it, it's happening pretty quickly. Wow. Um, and I don't know if this is appropriate, but my number one do not want disease is Fournier's gangrene, which is this necrotizing fasciitis in a very unfortunate location. So don't Google that. Um, and so that's pretty horrific and it's a skin infection it happens very quickly i think ebola itself the hemorrhagic ebola is really pretty gnarly you know it kind of liquefies your organs you ultimately just start hemorrhaging from all over so it's it's mm. yeah maybe that's yeah. what the, so the combination of everything oh but the the horrificness of it and then i talked about the, the encephalitis from herpes or and that was there's probably a lot worse so so this this Fortinbras plague is basically attacking like all systems of the body. <laughs> it sounds like it. I don't. Yeah. So this is not in the game. It's in the expansion books. Right. Okay. It is. It is part of Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation. That book. Okay. So. So uh, we're already almost fifty minutes into the show <laughs> for a mid break because this this is how stimulating these conversations go. This happens. So we're going to take a really quick mid break. I know that. We don't want to keep you too long, but when we get back, Sam, why don't you pick out some some last questions, some some highlights and things that we can cover, and then we'll we'll, we'll get to the rest of the show. So, uh, sure. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. So we're recording this very close to the last episode. We don't have any new patrons or new reviews to read out. So we're going to do this real quick. Thank you to all the patrons and everybody who helps to support the show. And shout outs to all of our shepherds, Kolka Shins, Kira C, Lieutenant Ticino, Shep Valkyrian, that's Spectre J, and William, and all 70 of our current patrons. Thank you so much for your support. We really do appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast. If you want to get ad-free episodes, t-shirts, join us on future episodes of the show, any of that stuff, go check that out and thank you to everybody who leaves five star ratings and reviews and shares with your friends and all of that stuff but we're gonna get back to the real stuff and continue to gross you out so here we go spit it out or are you trying to build suspense you're so dense sir 
Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right, we're back. And I, I know we've got you at least for the hour. Are you okay if we go over a little bit? Yeah. Dr. Greg's, Dr. Greg's all right. All right. So, Sam, where, where do we want to go now? We've been talking about um, the practice of medicine, but in Mass Effect and, and that kind of stuff, where are we going next? So... Yeah, we've we've been into the really, uh, you know, like um, hard, hard medicine topics, but I, I'd like to talk more about the people, uh, as Greg had mentioned earlier that, you know, Greg's background is, is far more, you know, uh, relationship focused. So we did a character deep dive of Dr. Chakwas. Since she's more or less the only consistent spotlighted human doctor we have in the original trilogy, how do you think Bioware did in its portrayal of medical professionals? Oh, well, I I love Dr. Chalkwest probably because she is the ship doctor and it's just great voice acting and her personality. Um, it's not really my day to day. Like you don't see her. She's in her clinic, but it's almost like you get to hang out with her there. I think you pull out and have drinks with her or you can. It's one option, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it it didn't quite look like she was it looked like she was always kind of on break, <laughs> I guess. But I don't know what it, it's like as a military provider on a ship. Maybe there is some informality, too. And um, but I, I really liked her as a character. I just didn't see a lot of my day to day and what she did. Um, she seemed to have every bit of equipment that you needed. And I think. Was it, was there another doc and, um, there was Dr. Michelle that was yeah. the other human doctor you could bring on. Okay. I, I seem to remember, and I might be making this up, um, that you could go in and I think you had to give her credits to get medical supplies or to, to get something. I feel like I had to pay her. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah, okay, sure. That's pretty real. <laughs> Took over some credits. Welcome to America. <laughs> yeah, but I might be misremembering that. Capitalist expansion for yeah. Mass okay. Uh, okay. So, well, shifting gears, uh, we know that you have a special love for Doctor Solus, okay. as in more than Solus. Uh, I'd just like to ask why. Um. Oh my goodness, I really like the. I appreciate the way that he thinks so analytically that is not how you know how the rest of us are but he 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 that portrayal for a, a, a very fleshed out character is really beautiful and then he has these things too where he's singing and brings in color and honestly the his end arc was like i think when I like cried in the game probably for the first time or um, it was so beautiful seeing his kind of pivot. And I think going, going back and playing it and hearing his attitudes at the beginning was a little wrenching and realizing, Oh yeah, he really kind of comes around um, on how he feels about the genophage. Um, yeah. That conversation, if you play a certain way, you can get conversation with him where he basically shepherd corners him and doesn't really allow him to save face about his prior mistakes with the genophage and mm. Morden can kind of snap and, and yell at Shepard, you know, I made a mistake. 
and it's like, man, that one, that one cuts you deep. Um, mm-hmm. But we have this clip here. I promised you that we would play some clips from Morden's personality. Okay. And very apparent here, I think. Shepard, how can I help? Have you got a minute to talk? Perhaps later. Trying to determine how scale itch got onto Normandy. Sexually transmitted disease only carried by Varen. Implications unpleasant. Have you got a minute to talk? Some other time. About to test new bioweapon. Not on us, of course. Didn't think I had to specify, but Joker got nervous. Have you got a minute to talk? Not a good time. Trying to map contamination vectors requires focus. Shipwide infection of human-tailored virus possible if I slip. Have you got a minute to talk? Later, better. Think I've cured Joker's condition. Simple treatment would... No, 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 no. Would cause liver failure. Never mind. Start from scratch. <laughs> Love it. So, yeah, like you said, he's he's so analytical. You know, do, do his mannerisms and, and very literal treatment of conversation... Like, have you seen that in the medical world at all? Oh, yeah. We, we all know people like that. And there's certainly a degree that... You know, folks that think that way could be attracted to medicine, among other fields, for sure. That's, I think, the stereotype. And in, in that way, do you think that Bioware was was making a parody of of the highly cerebral physicians? Oh, I guess so. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel insulted or like they were poking fun at us. But um, yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. I, I, more of more of um, yeah, because he is more of kind of like the research scientist more than. I guess he's still the physician too, or a physician, but he like is more roles. like a researcher. Yeah. <laughs> and he was also a spy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he wore a lot of hats. And so we have some more clips of, of Morden's medical advice. So he, he gives the players medical advice, depending on who you romance in Mass Effect 2. So it can be different. Um, and I'd like to get your opinion on, on Morden's medical advice and whether or not maybe it's sound. Shepard, how can I help? Have you got a minute to talk? Actually, wanted to talk. Medical matters. Aware that mission is dangerous. Different species react differently to stress. Aware that you and Jack are sexually active, or planning to be, suggest caution. Emotionally unstable biotics dangerous during intercourse. I'm aware that Jack is dangerous, but I want to see where this goes. Of course, hormones. We'll be here to set broken bones later. You have a recommendation as a doctor? Can give biotic inhibitor to dampen neural receptors, weaken unintentional biotic effects, no guarantees. Suggest padding walls. Biotic ability also gives benefits. Forwarding booklet to your quarters includes diagrams, exercises, inventive uses of mass effect fields. Can supply oils or ointments to reduce discomfort. Gave ED electronic relationship aid demonstration vids to use as necessary. Past relationship with Talizora makes dalliance attractive as stress release. Oh, I guess we should... Yeah. We should do the first one. Let's talk about the first yeah. one before we went on the second one. Yeah, let's let's talk about Morden's <laughs> advice to uh, to to Shepard while romancing Jack. I think he refers to sedation there at some point, which is awful. <laughs> he, he does give a lot of options and has a lot of different feedback for how he can help Commander Shepard in a sexual experience, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Um. I'm not going to comment on, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> I feel like he's the kind of person who's like, why would that be a boundary? It's you clearly have a, have a problem and oh, I have a solution, right? Yeah. He's problem solving for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can do it this way. You can do it this way. 
You can drug her. You can pad the rooms. You can practice with this AI here. <laughs> maybe what maybe the drug was for Shepard. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was you know just to to numb the pain. <laughs> be generous. It could be generous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I know the next one talks about Tally, and you made a, a, a comment about how you have a, a special affinity for the Corians, uh, and how how there's <laughs> how their suits and and how Tally develops the infection. I think Morden has some medical advice about that. Oh, great! Past relationship with Tally Zora makes dalliance attractive as stress release. Still recommend caution. Quarian immune system weak could kill her. Tally is important to me. I wouldn't be doing this if she didn't want it to. Of course, no offense intended. We'll be here to provide treatment as necessary. Minimize risk. You have a recommendation mm -hmm. as a doctor? Tally Zora acquired antiseptic. Recommend you self-sterilize as well. Oral contact with tissue dangerous. Take precautions. Also forwarding advice booklet to your quarters. Valuable diagrams, positions comfortable for both species, erogenous zone overviews. Sexual activity... <laughs> I love that. Totally matter of fact. Um, how can I help you here? No boundaries. Mm -hmm. Take the extra step to, if you are going to bring on this risk, then here's the other things you can do. To, yeah. to my ears, as a non-medical professional, it all sounds like good advice, too. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, I mean, cool. if I uh, if I was being very matter of fact with my doctor about about my relationship with an alien, then uh, <laughs> then I guess that's the uh, response that I'd want. Yeah, I love the tips at the end that he's like, OK, you, we're going to do this. This is what we need to do. Oh, and by the way, this might also help in this as well and not related to the infection. But yeah, it's great. So we I have love, I love oh, the boy, fact that he, he recommends self-sterilizing and avoiding oral contact <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, um so moving on from these uh we have uh, kind of softer questions here but who knows where this goes uh let's talk about the regeneration of scars because oh. we get we get this uh answer from dr chakwas about the regeneration of your scars and how having a positive attitude and focusing on healing then the scars heal faster, right? That's going the Paragon route. Is there any truth to that? Is I mean, obviously, mindset can affect a lot of things, but when it comes to something like healing scars? Oh, interesting. Um, well, I didn't know that, that if you became a Paragon, your scars would heal. Um, yes, and if you go Renegade, they get worse. Yeah, it affects the way you look. You look nicer or you look meaner. Well, you know, from allopathic medicine we we don't know everything we only know what there's evidence for that's kind of the strength of allopathic medicine evidence-based medicine um and i've i seem to remember this is an this is older study um i remember hearing about it in residency and it was actually more about prayer and what it was is they were trying to see if prayer helped and I forget the numbers in the groups, but basically those people who knew they were being prayed for did better to some degree. Those who were prayed for that didn't know about it didn't do any better than the controls. 
And it was that element of, and maybe, so this is maybe kind of similar to the positive thinking that Mm -hmm. knowing that you're being, people are thinking about you or thinking positively about that. So it's not quite the same. Expecting results in a way, like the the positive expectation of something working lends towards it working. It's, it's it's, It's the same reason why if I take aspirin to relieve pain, or if you as a doctor give me, hand me the aspirin, the effects of you handing me the aspirin will make it more effective. Placebo, if I didn't tell you, I said, I can't tell you what this is, but I promise you, Mm -hmm. there's almost no side effects and you're gonna feel better. And I'm giving you a Skittle, there, that, that works. It's yeah. And yeah. effect is crazy. I've seen, I've seen so, studies on placebo that uh, ex- they expanded out from like taking to, you know, even if, even if you take a sugar pill in a hospital by a doctor in a doctor's like outfit, full fleshed on outfit that has more of an effect in some cases than taking certain types of medication at home, just over the counter. Um, like it, there's obviously a lot of nuance to this in the details, but placebo is verifiably a real thing like you're saying and so maybe this ties into that a little bit but but like the fixing of scars on your face eh, that's a eh. maybe a bit of a stretch but i think the concept is probably rooted in truth i just i can't tell you more evidence right off but um I, i'd go with that i'd go with that commander shepherd's got some pretty spicy immune system that's you know an overachiever and it's feeling good. <laughs> Apparently impenetrable. Uh, and, you know, talking about Commander Shepard, uh, the Lazarus Project. Shepard is brought back to life after falling from orbit into a planet. And and I guess, you know, like, I don't know how much of the body was left. They say it was really only scraps. But let's, let's watch that scene. Okay. And I'd like to get your thoughts right after it. Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as planned. So did you catch all of that? Was there more, Sam, or was that it? There was more, but I believe it's just uh, Miranda, you know, waking Shepard up and you can hear yeah. Wilson in the yeah, background yeah. saying yeah. heart rate's increasing and, you know, um, right. So, so then they try to bring down Shepard's heart rate. Um, but from what we, what we heard and what we saw in that rebuilding of Shepard scene, did anything stand out to you? Yeah. And so we'll just say putting his mind and memory aside, let's just say we're talking about the body here. Um, We have the ability to grow tissues, but it would be a really big challenge to 
build piecemeal an adult, like a, you're assembling a machine, I could see very easily the idea of having a, a cell and be able to pull his DNA and clone, essentially grow a clone as, you know, the organs, you know, the cells migrate into the different systems and the nerves branch out and reach and growing it that way, the way we all grow. Um, but piecemealing together a body into adulthood and having nerves connect would, that, it's a little bit more of a stretch, but you know, that is not the hard leap. I think, I think the hard leap is his mind and that, you know, a clone would be like more of more like a twin in a way. And to have commander Shepard's memories would be, you know, in theory, if you could freeze this brain state he had, let's say then, you know, the, where all the nerves are, how they're connected. And even the energy state of the electrons of all the atoms there, and then could replicate that somehow in theory, you could sort of have a, a hard drive of his brain save, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a bigger stretch. And I just, okay, I'll accept that. I'll let that go. I w- it would have liked it if he had some messed up memories or some challenges kind of coming. I don't remember him really struggling too hard with uh, remembering who he was or his, his parents. And yeah, I don't remember that. Being- right. And, and so that, yeah, I was going to say, you know, the, the, the mentality and the mind and memory aspect, I, I, as just a regular player with no experience in medicine or health at all, that was the most unbelievable part to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I do think, I don't remember the graphics from that because I thought, oh yeah, he, they brought him back. I thought it was sort of from a fetal cell type of uh, growth or, you know, a rapid growth process. I didn't realize they were building little pieces and sticking it together, which seems the hard way to do it. <laughs> or, or revitalizing organs that look like they're dead and bringing them back to life. I mean, there's some of that uh, symbolism in there too. It looks yeah, like a little, a little bit of that, like, like Lazarus, you know, uh, breathing life into this dead tissue that uh, somehow is parts. yeah right they just inject it with mystery liquid and things and, <laughs> and <laughs> space magic technology and space magic yeah um but maybe they went that route as a narrative way just because they didn't want to address the whole am i really shepherd thing mm-hmm. um because they do of course i don't know if you've played the citadel dlc greg but uh clone shepherd exists so oh, right that's so right. they have a clone shepherd that was probably the easier way to do it scientifically you're saying but that shepherd took the back burner and existed for spare organs and was he he was part of the cerebrus project then he was part of project lazarus is that right yes that that shepherd was part of the project but we never got to see it until that point okay right you also wouldn't expect that clone to have the same memories of the original brain if it was cloned from nothing right that doesn't make any sense uh unless they have a way of like saving brain states to some sort of like hard drive and then uploading it into another organic brain in a way that you think that work but you would need like the entire gray matter right to do that something yeah maybe i don't know Um, Uh, the, the brain is a very complex organism yeah there is something i think you said tom about the idea of seeing parts of his old body being pieced back together. That is that we identify with, Oh, that's still him in the same way. We, yeah. you know, we look at our own body as, Oh, this is me, even though it's constantly changing those other organisms, you know, we're not, it's a little bit of an illusion. Um, right. Theseus is ship. Theseus? The ship of Theseus. Yeah. 
Yeah, the idea of you replace a number of planks on a boat. At what point is it no longer the original boat? Right. Yeah. But like the human body is doing that all the time. We're constantly regenerating cells and and growing and changing. Um, but yet still have this sense of self that we're still the same thing we always were, even yeah. though piece by piece we're not. Yeah. And it, it could have also been the elusive man's purest attitude, you know, um, because this was a project that the elusive man directly was. Um, involved with and the elusive man is so extreme in the human purest attitude which is weird because he doesn't seem to be against using cybernetics to enhance humanity yeah. but I, I guess it makes sense if you want to keep shepherd shepherd right so right that makes yeah. a lot of sense well, and thank you. Oh, sorry. I was going to, I was going to wrap this up. Did you have anything else you want to uh, go, go ahead? I was going to say, well, thank you. For, thank you for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation and, and a lot of really cool insights from somebody who has an expertise very different from me or Sam. Um, is there any other, uh, yeah. Is there any other final thoughts on any of this before we wrap it up? Ooh, if you guys have more uh, specific things down the road and want to hit me up. I'm happy to happy to be a part of it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we can come up with more. Like this feels like one of those conversations that like could go on for another hour if we really had the time. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Is there, is there anything you want to share about ways people can reach out or, or other stuff going on? Oh, I don't really do. I mean, I, the only thing I have on Twitch is a star Wars RPG that is probably maybe not up everyone's alley, but that's all I've got going on. Cool. Cool. You're sick. Go see your doctor, do your preventative visits get vaccinated yeah, yeah get vaccinated exactly do all the doctor things that the doctors tell you to do because they know better than than Your we parents. all do so yeah yeah uh, dr greg thank you so much for joining us this has been awesome My pleasure. and um, thank you greg yeah sam anything going on that you want to share before we wrap it up well i'm i'm streaming um as everyone knows you know most thursdays i'll stream andromeda not today of course um, but I will be streaming Mass Effect, uh, my neutral Shepard playthrough, who doesn't really feel any particular way about anything that's going on, and he really just wants to go home. Uh, <laughs> that's on Saturday. Uh, every Saturday, you can find me on Twitch and Twitter at N7TheLegend. And for those who are listening to the show uh, and also listening and watching my streams, bear with me as I try to get the hang of this mixer. I've also ordered a stream deck. So I got the, I got oh, the wow. mini one. I'm looking forward to the production quality increase. That's awesome. That's awesome. Have fun with your toys. Uh, all of my shows are over at robotsradio.net and you can check out any of the other lore casts that I do. Lord of the Rings or, or the Witcher or the Elder Scrolls or Fallout. And then also Starfield, which is getting closer and closer to an event because they mentioned that there's going to be an event for Starfield and the launch date will probably be given sometime in the next month or two, I would hope. So awesome stuff for that. So stay tuned for that stuff as well. But thanks again, Dr. Greg uh, and chat and everybody else for being here. You guys are awesome. We will see you next time. Until then, stay safe out there and, uh, you know, do what your doctor says. See you guys later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com.